Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. This is on imaging the hand and wrist, looking beyond trauma. And this was an excellent exhibit at the Rankin Ray this year by, by Shivani Alawat from Hopkins. And uh, let's take a look. So the purpose and aim of the exhibit and the aim of this talk is really to look at the utility of CT, including dual energy, for looking at the hand and wrist in the non-trauma scenario. We've spoken a lot about trauma, and CT is excellent for detecting fractures, of course, but what about in the non-trauma setting? We're going to look at its applications, the techniques that are used in this scenario, and look at some specific applications. So now, in terms of indications, uh, MR obviously is very valuable across a range of applications in musculoskeletal imaging, uh, but CT can be very valuable, for example, in skeletal neoplasms, looking at tumor extent and characterization of lesions based on matrix. It can be very helpful with infection like osteomyelitis, though, of course, MR can pick up earlier osteomyelitis before some of the bony changes are seen on CT. With contrast-enhanced CT, determination of tumor extent and characterization are, again, uh, typically good applications. Uh, vascular disorders, including arteritis, soft tissue infection, including abscess, myositis, and fasciitis. And then, of course, now with dual energy CT, the ability to uh, look for metabolic disorders such as gout. So again, these are just some of the possibilities where CT would be useful. Now, in terms of parameters, typically we're going to use a KVP of 120 and an MAS in the 210 to 280 range. We use thin section CT with close interscan spacing and always reconstruct with both a soft tissue and bone algorithm. Depending on the scenario, uh, IV contrast can be very helpful. And if I'm looking at soft tissues, I always want to have IV contrast in place. Depending on specifically what I'm looking at, the timing of the acquisition will vary. If I'm thinking about vascular processes where I'm worrying about a pseudoaneurysm or aneurysm, I'm going closer to 20, 25 seconds. If I'm just looking for the extent of an abscess, maybe 50 seconds would be better. But again, dual phase imaging is often what is valuable in this scenario. 3D mapping becomes very, very important because looking at axial images of the hand and wrist often does not give you a good feel for plane and perspective. One of the nice things once we got beyond 64 slice is with isotropic resolution, we can reconstruct in any plane and perspective. I made the point about soft tissue uh, versus uh, bone algorithms. The bone algorithms are not that good for doing the 3D imaging because they're too noisy, but they're excellent for looking at the trabeculation in bone, as you can see in this case. And often subtle fractures may only be seen with the bone algorithm. And this is just a very nice example of making that point. Now, in terms of reconstruction, uh, I do always like to do the thin reconstructions, 0.75. Uh, again, that's critical when you're doing 3D rendering. In terms of reconstruction techniques, we essentially always will use volume rendering. I would typically supplement that with MIP imaging. Volume rendering is ideal for soft tissue and vessels. It's also good for bone and the relationship of all three. MIP is good for looking at vascular structures. And with MIP, however, of course, you need to be removing the bone to really make it worthwhile. Volume rendering is really key. And just an example would be a case like this with a patient with bandages and a wound. You can see the bandages, the vessels, and the bone simply by adjusting the uh, 
various volume rendering parameters. Now, if we look at some of the non-traumatic abnormalities of the hand and wrist, we're looking at a number of different processes that we commented on a few moments ago, ranging from infections to neoplasms to metabolic disorders. Now, when you look at the CT, and in this case, you very nicely see an abscess in the superficial soft tissues, CT provides an analysis of the compartmental anatomy and helps guide the various patterns of infection and treatment options. The spectrum of soft tissue infections include cellulitis, abscess, myositis, fasciitis, including necrotizing fasciitis, and even infectious tenosynovitis. Osteomyelitis and septic arthritis may also be present at the same time as the soft tissue processes. And here's just a nice example of soft tissue infection, showing you in 3D the areas of erythema and cellulitis, as well as relationships to the vascular structure, as well as the ulceration in the dorsal wrist. Here's another case showing you very nicely the use of 2D and 3D, showing you the marked soft tissue swelling and stranding superficially over the dorsal and radial aspect of the proximal phalanx of the long digit consistent with cellulitis. A drainable collection was present, which you can see very nicely as well on the reconstructed images. Now, when we speak about osteomyelitis, typically we're thinking bacterial osteomyelitis where the soft tissue swelling, periosteal reaction, and changes in the cortex, including focal cortical erosions. An extramedullary fat fluid level in the absence of trauma is a rare but specific sign for osteomyelitis, but it's indeed super rare. CT is considered superior to MR in the setting of chronic osteomyelitis for the demonstration of cortical destruction and gas, and sequestra are better seen with CT. Here's a nice example again with 3D imaging, showing you erosions and periosteal reactions at the thumb into phalangeal joint, indicating uh, osteomyelitis with bony destruction, as well as a septic arthritis, as well as inflammation. Now, with soft tissue masses, CT provides very good detail, uh, although the contrast resolution is not the same as MR, but it can be very helpful, helpful particularly in preoperative planning. So here's a nice example of a patient status post left hand carpal amputation with end bulb neuromas of the ulnar and medial arteries nicely seen. This ability to look at the soft tissues can also be very valuable in non-trauma settings, looking at density of specific structures, whether something's a ganglion or a cyst or a lipoma. CT is also good at looking at mass effect. And so here's a nice example of an ulnar nerve schwannoma. You can see it's low density in appearance. Here's another example of a case of an incompletely resected sarcoma, very nicely showing you the hyperemia and vascular encasement of the soft tissues, the proximal long finger, long digit, and the mass is inseparable from the long, uh, from the uh, flexor tendon to that digit as well. So again, very, very important. Now, we also can use CT for evaluating the tumor extent when MR is contraindicated. CT is useful for characterizing skeletal lesions by observing patterns of marrow destruction, periosteal reaction, changes in mineralization, density of the lesion, and degree of endosteal scalloping. So here's a good example of a patient showing you both CT and MR of an enchondroma. CT showing you nicely the scalloping 
and the mineralization associated with the lesion. But the MR does show this better, particularly some of the perilesional edema. Another case, here's a patient of an osteoid osteoma of the ring finger, very nicely showing you the soft tissue swelling as well. And here's an example of a patient with sarcoidosis with cystic lesions in the distal radius, which you can see very nicely on the 3D reconstructions. Now, in metabolic disorders, we talk about looking for urate crystals. Uh, and again, dual energy with gout, typically done at 140 and 100 kVp or 140 and 80 kVp, works indeed very nicely. Uh, CT can be used with dual energy to distinguish between uh, urate crystals and dystrophic calcifications. Uh, dual energy has been shown to be valuable in quantifying the volume of disease as well as looking at response. So here's a nice example when you do dual energy. You can see the color coding green is the zone of the increased uptake of the uh, uric acid. And you can see these uric acid deposits are distinct from the periarticular calcification uh, period. So again, very nice example. Uh, CT is also useful for detecting mineralization changes in chondral calcinosis and or something like periarticular deposits of calcium due to metastatic calcification, commonly seen in uh, chronic renal disease. And so here's just an example of widening of the scapholunate interspace with proximal migration of the capitate, erosions and cysts are present, uh, osteoarthritis of the a scaphoid facet is seen, period. Subtle chondral calcinosis, a triangular fibrocartilage, and the lunatotriquicral ligament are features of pseudogout and CPD arthropathy. Just a very nice example. In autoimmune diseases, soft tissue calcifications in the skin or subcutaneous tissues or fascial planes can be seen. Uh, findings are not uncommon in autoimmune connective tissue disorders such as polymyositis or dermatomyositis. And here's a nice example of the soft tissue sheets of calcification in dermatomyositis in both the coronal views as well as the 3D mapping. Very nice examples. Now we also mentioned in the non-traumatic category vascular disorders. The vascular disorders can be associated with trauma, but what about the ones that are non-traumatic? CT angio is critical in defining the arterial or venous vascularity of these lesions. It's also helpful in detecting flea bullets that can be present in vascular malformations. It's especially useful for preoperative planning. And here's just a nice example of a radial artery pseudoaneurysm. With some of the vascular malformations, typically low-flow venous malformations are characterized by slow flow and the pooling of blood, showing serpiginous vascular components that enhance after contrast administration, as opposed to high-flow vascular malformations, so-called AV fistulae. You'll see large feeding vessels um, in addition to draining uh, vessels, although these can occasionally be seen in large flow malformations or non-involving hemangiomas as well, but it's less common. Here's a beautiful example of high flow AVM where you can see hypertrophied renal artery and various small arterial branches. It really stands out. Here's another example of a high flow AVM with a large partially thrombosed pseudoaneurysm. Again, very nicely seen. 
Now, CT is also good for looking at foreign bodies. This may be in the trauma setting most commonly, but also in the non-trauma setting, we can determine the presence, metal, even wood. A CT has a sensitivity uh, for foreign bodies under 0.6 millimeters squared, uh, between 65 and 100%. And I think we're doing much better now than in the past. We know what to look for, thinner sections, and we're much more sensitive. Here's a nice example of a nonlinear high attenuation foreign body seen on CT, or in this case, the multiple small bullet fragments from a patient with a prior uh, ballistic injury, which ended up hitting uh, the uh, carpal bones. Just a very nice example. Occasionally, in the congenital disorders, we'll use CT when we're looking for some complications. Here's dorsal dislocation of the ulna. This is a classic mandelung deformity. So again, something we don't see every day, but in this case, it's something that can be important and easily optimized uh, with the uh, 3D imaging. So I've showed you a number of cases where we've gone beyond trauma looking at the hand and wrist. Obviously, trauma is the number one scenario for us to look at the wrist and hand, but there are many other useful applications for CT imaging. Now, particularly with the thin sections, multiplanar and 3D capabilities, along with newer techniques like dual energy and CT angiography, really play an important role. Again, protocol and technique becomes important, and it's very important to plan your study before you do it. So with that, I'll stop right there. I wish you a great day. Have a nice one.